listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. North of Zero by Slippin' Mickey's on AO3. Chapter 7, The Cabin. Have you ever ridden a horse? Mulder asked the boy as he limped on the crutch to where Molly and Pumpkin were hobbled. Scully was in the shack packing up the last of their few odds and ends. Both horses were sniffing the air, bobbing their noses in the direction of the new arrival. A little, William said, his eyes intent on the two big animals. He reached out and they each took turns nosing his hand, running their big soft lips over his palm and up his wrist, looking for treats. Molly nickered at the boy gently and nosed his chest. He cracked the first smile Mulder had seen from him. He couldn't believe how much the kid looked like Scully. My grandparents had a farm that I used to go to when I was little. They had a red roan Appaloosa named Robin. She used to let me hop on her back from the fence and ride her around the paddock. It's like riding a bike, Mulder said, smiling at the boy. If you say so, William said back. I know Scully wants you to keep that ankle elevated, but we need to leave here. It'll be a lot easier going if you're mounted. It'll be all right, the boy said, and Mulder felt reassured. William was an old soul. You can ride Pumpkin here, Mulder said, thumping the animal's flank. He's naughty, but he's sweet, and he's pretty steady. Where are we headed? the boy asked. Home, Mulder said, referring to the rumpled cabin that he and Scully had shared for a little over a year. The word still felt odd on the tongue. So north, then? the boy asked. Mulder nodded, wondering how the kid knew. That's good, the boy said running a hand over Pumpkin's ear and then down his long nose. North is good. Up you get, Mulder said, gingerly helping the boy into the saddle and carefully helping his injured leg into the stirrup. Feel okay? William nodded. Scully ducked out the corrugated door and approached them, handing the last supply bag to Mulder. Scully will ride with you, Mulder went on, securing the bag to Molly's flank. Pumpkin knows the way. Let us know if you need to stop. It had been slow going. They didn't want to push the horses now that they were carrying extra weight, so it was an hours-long, butt-aching plod. They had talked for the first hour or so, trying to piece together William's life since he'd been on the move. Scully marveled at how a boy his age had managed to survive, and her heart broke at all he'd seen and endured. His adoptive parents and family, gone. The world as he'd known it, gone. Scrounging, back-breaking survival, all in the service of some unknown calling. She would have wept if she'd had tears left to give. She heard Mulder make a low, horsey sound to Molly from behind them, and the solid sound of him patting the mare's neck. Molly tended to be impatient, and Pumpkin's gait was slow. She registered her displeasure by occasionally reaching out and snagging a mouthful of vegetation bordering the trail, causing Mulder to tip forward until the horse righted her neck to chew. 
Scully had nothing to do with the time but look at her son. William rode high atop Pumpkin, his head even with Scully's, but his long, rangy legs hanging down lower than hers. She couldn't help but take in every little detail, the cedar-shaving smell of his coat, the tufts of wiry red hair sticking out of his stocking cap. He had excellent posture, something she found tall people sometimes lacked. He would be as tall, if not taller, than Mulder, which pleased her. The boy needed a haircut. Something akin to a pall had settled over her that morning, a long-forgotten guilt that had come roaring back to settle heavily in her bones, an echo of the gut-wrenching despair she had felt, handing over her only child she would ever bore to a stranger's indifferent arms. She unconsciously tightened her grip around the boy's waist, and he turned his head to look at her over his shoulder, giving her a sheepish but kind grin. She took in his profile, the perfect seashell curve of his ear, the blue irises of his eyes, his strong nose, the faultless mechanical grip of his slender fingers. She had wrought that. She had crafted it within her. Everything the boy was had been because of the fusion of DNA from her, from Mulder, a double helix of shared traits all melded together in the shelter of her womb. How do you make something that perfect and walk away from it, she wondered. How do you both survive? She wanted to believe in forgiveness. She wanted to believe in fate. But those were both sentiments from a world that no longer existed, and the one they were living in now cared not for either, as far as she could tell. They came over the rise of the hill that banked steeply into the wooded shoreline of Green Lake on which their small cabin perched at the southern end. Molly and Pumpkin, knowing they were close to home, broke into a canter as they hit the cedar tree line that skirted the western shore, and they let the horses have their head, knowing rest was in the cards for all of them. The cabin was a welcome sight as they made their way around the small point and it came into view. The hemlocks that grew up tall around it were wreathed in snow, and it looked picturesque and cozy. Green Lake itself had frozen, and the ice was dark in places, snow-blown and swirling camouflage-like patches. Mulder would be able to ice fish soon, filling out their stores and smoking the rest for trading. They'd built a smokehouse on the back edge of the property, and its racks were ready and waiting for a new catch. Mulder dismounted first and came around to help William down, handing him his crutch. Do you need any help with the horses? The boy asked hopefully, but Scully cut off Mulder before he could take him up on the offer. The first thing you're going to do, she said, swinging herself down off Pumpkin's back, is elevate and ice that ankle. It's feeling a lot better, William offered optimistically. Elevate and ice, Scully reiterated. It's no use fighting her, Mulder mumbled at his son while he pulled off Pumpkin's saddlebags and the blanket beneath them. Best to learn that now. I'm standing right here, Mulder, she said, hands on her hips. And looking very pretty while doing it, he smiled, leaning down to plant a light kiss on her forehead. Why don't you get William settled? I'll rub down the horses. She nodded and turned toward the cabin, William following her obediently. There was snow built up against the door that she had to clear away before putting a shoulder to the sticky wood, 
The door gave up the ghost on the second shove, and they stumbled inside, treading wet snow on the worn floorboards. Do you want me to take my boots off? He asked politely, and she smiled and almost laughed, but instead said, Why don't you keep them on until I get the stove going? There was a pot-bellied wood-burning stove that sat in a corner of the kitchen, which heated the entirety of the small dwelling admirably. The kitchen itself was painted a warm yellow and had soft, frilly curtains hanging over the windows above a wide porcelain farmhouse sink. There was a small living area off the kitchen with large bay windows facing the lake, which had a long, low-lying davenport in the middle, which smelled a bit of mildew, but was very comfortable. On either end of the couch were two Amish-made wingback chairs with yellow doilies over the back and arms. There were two small bedrooms on the other end of the cottage with a recently refurbished bathroom in between. Mulder and Scully had taken over the room with the slightly larger bed and had been using the smaller bedroom for storage. There's a bedroom back here you can use, she went on, pointing towards it. We just have a few things in there we'll need to pull out and store in the barn. Do you want me to clean off the bed, or would you like me to get you set up on the couch? Um, the couch, I guess, William said, pulling the knit cap off his head and letting the small knapsack he'd been traveling with slide off his shoulder. Come on, she smiled at him, and piled up a few pillows on either end of the sofa for his head and ankle. He sat down gingerly, dropping the knapsack on the floor, and hesitated, giving Scully a look. Listen, she said, reaching out and giving his hair a tossle, something she'd been longing to do. Don't worry about putting your boots on the pillows, okay? If they get wet, it's not the end of the world. We've already been through that. He grinned at her and leaned back with a small groan, and she grabbed an extra blanket from a basket in the corner and draped it over him, watching him fondly for a moment before turning her attention to the pot-bellied stove. Mulder came tromping in, covered in a dusting of snow, not long after she'd gotten a roaring fire going, scattering droplets of water everywhere, and grousing about the weather. Scully put a kettle of water on the stove to boil, and sent him back out to bring in firewood. He was appeased when he came back in ten minutes later, with a full firewood tote, and Scully took it off his hands, handing him a steaming cup of the cedar and mint to Zane she'd perfected the winter before. She rounded the corner of the Davenport and handed a mug to William as well, who looked at it skeptically but gave it a polite sip. The mug she'd handed him was old and heavy, the glazing on the ceramic cracked and stained brown with decades' worth of coffee or tea. On the side, it said Antique Flywheelers Club. It's good, he said, coughing in counterpoint and having the decency to blush. It's not, she said, smiling at him but it's good for reducing inflammation. Try to finish it if you can. Your mother was a doctor, Mulder said, lifting a chin at Scully. Is a doctor, Scully corrected, and I could still make your death look like an accident. And what were you? William asked Mulder, curious. I was a pain in the ass, his father answered. Are a pain in the ass, Scully corrected again making William smile a wide, toothy grin for the second time that day. It was clear something had gone very wrong with the invasion. Mulder had never been able to make much sense of the different factions at play, but the virus, long thought to be the aliens' endgame, 
had fizzled out or never come to pass, or perhaps was not even yet deployed, and whatever plan remained all came down long after December 2012 had come and gone. Ships came, hovering menacingly over the inhabitants of Earth, and then other ships came down, the faceless men as best Mulder could tell, dropping bombs on the original ships. Russia, North Korea, and India had deployed nukes, and after that the power grid humanity relied upon to disseminate information on the state of what remained had withered and died. What information could be gathered was passed on with rumor and innuendo, garbled and misconstrued as from a game of operator. Mulder had heard some seriously weird shit, from wildly conflated talk of government-sanctioned underground utopias, to fire and brimstone preachers who collected the traumatized and dispossessed for passage directly to heaven. In any event, most of humanity was gone, and those that remained considered themselves either very lucky or very unlucky, and all of them, two a one, were living in the wind. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>